Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that, too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 454 for November 19th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about chisel storage, spoke shave use, a jointer buying decision, scrub planes, and rotted sap wood. All really good topics there. Uh, and we also have to thank a few individuals who helped us out. Uh, first of all, Thomas Gouda, or, or Gouda, and uh, let's see, we have a few other people. Gouda, crackers. <laughs> oh, it's so good, right? Put a raspberry jam in there. Uh, see, that's the kind of cheese that, like... It, like I didn't appreciate when I was younger, so like that and feta, those are all like cheeses that now I'm like, num, 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 num. goat cheese even. Oh hello, on a salad, so good. Hello goat cheese. How are hello you doing? goat cheese. Jump in my mouth. Um, okay, we also want to thank Josh Rising, Simon Tej, Herlander Art, and David Metzger. So if you want to help out the show and support us, you can do that. Just go to Patreon.com/slash/WoodTalk. Get all the details there. And uh, what do you say, guys? Should we just get into what's on the bench? Nah, sure. let's call it here. We're all here. We may as well. Hey, thanks for um, listening. Yeah, that. Uh, so, hey, just a couple quick announcements. First of all, if you are a person who listens uh, with discerning ears to this show, you may have noticed a little bit of a sound improvement in the last two episodes, uh, which is kind of crazy. You know, 10 year plus show is finally actually sounding a little bit better. <laughs> Um, I, here's the Way thing. to sell it, Mark. Yeah, you know, we're always uh, <laughs> always uh, shooting for the stars here at Wood Talk. Uh, but what wound up happening was um, I, I had the opportunity to get involved with an editor, someone who can actually do some of the stuff. And the concept of having someone else edit my audio podcast is like, I don't know, it's like having someone come in and, and wipe my butt. Like it's, it's fantastic. A, it's like, it's a it's a thing I could pretty much do. Have you ever had anybody wipe your butt? Maybe you might be, See, don't know what you're missing, you know? That's what I'm saying. And then same thing happened with this audio stuff. I didn't realize what I was same missing until it was done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've uh, we've upgraded to the bidet version of uh, Wood Talk. Yes. And uh, now <laughs> it is fresher and cleaner. 
And we're actually doing local recordings. And that's something I would never even want to think about editing, but someone else is doing the work and we're paying him and he's doing a great job. So hopefully you've heard the sound quality improvements and we will, uh, you know, continue to do that. I think it's working out well. We are also broadcasting live for the first time in probably over a year. Uh, we're on uh, YouTube using a Google Hangout, and hopefully this will hold up for the rest of the show. And uh, if you're missing this, uh, we record usually Friday afternoons. Uh, it's usually about one o'clock my time, Mountain. And what's that for you guys? Um, three o'clock? Two and three, right? Eastern ish. Three, yep. So yeah, you can catch that uh, on our YouTube channel. So uh, let's just get into what's on the bench here. So I'm still working on the bunk bed, um, rounding the last lap, I would say. I'm working on the slide right now. And it, this is just one of those things where it's like, you can't just put a slide on a bed and not really give it any thought. Like, yeah, it's going down at a downward angle. It, well, not all angles are created equal. And some of them are actually kind of dangerous. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to say, what kind of testing <laughs> protocols do you have in place? Is it just, hey, none, Mateo. None whatsoever. Yeah, here, try this out, son. I mean, I know you've got, uh, got a pretty narrow uh, backside there, but can, can you yeah. test out the, the slide? Is it- <laughs> I think I can. There's enough. I did actually size everything. Because guess who like reads stories to Mateo at night? Me. So guess who's going to have to climb up to the top bunk and then slide back down once he oh, falls asleep? So what a life. I get to yeah. slide down. Yeah. It's like a silver spoons house. Enjoy time with my son and then slide down a slide. Got to ah. ride my train and my escalator. I was going to say, you need a train upstairs. Yeah. It's going to be a silver spoons house. I need my little conductor's hat. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking at the angle and right now uh, using eight foot boards with the height that the slide is going to anchor into the bed, it's actually pitching at about like, like a 38 degree angle and just kind of did a little Googling on this uh, consensus is that about 30 degrees is where you want to be. So I'm a little bit steep. Uh, and w- basically with an eight foot board, I can't, I can't change anything to get that angle any different. So what I decided to do, and I've got a few like little kitty slides that we bought, like plastic piece of junk slides that sit in the backyard. When the slide goes all the way to the ground level, what's the kid supposed to do with that other than slam their butt on the ground, right? right? So slides, if you look at a slide in a, uh, you know, at the playground, they're always off the ground once they f- uh, straighten out and level off. Right. So I'm like, like well, there you height. go. Yeah. So I don't need to do anything more with an eight foot board. I'll take the eight foot, uh, make that the primary angle and then straighten out and level off with maybe another 12 inch board. That's just kind of, uh, you know, cut at a a, a mitered angle and joined it'll level out and it'll keep them off the ground a little bit. So that's kind of going to be my solution for this. That will hopefully result in the kids landing on their feet instead of their butt, but, uh, it's coming together and the kid's getting excited because he's walking out to, uh, to go to school and he walks past it and all I had was the two eight quarter boards sitting on the platform. So it kind of looked a little bit different. He was like, oh, my slide. I'm like, not yet. It's not, nothing's <laughs> done. It's just too still rough. Yeah. Still rough on done. No touchy. I'll wax um, this up. Yeah. But he's getting super excited about it. So I, I got to awesome. say, it's exciting to, to build something for a kid that he's going to appreciate for at least a little while and hopefully not break within well, the next like I mean, six you months. definitely want to raise the end off the ground just so that in the future, if you want, you can put like, you know, a kiddie pool full of jello under it or something. Yes. You know, you can't slide right to the floor and then into the kiddie pool of jello. That's just and like what is, I'm thinking. What is this like a college dorm? I'm thinking jello wrestling. Well, that's yeah, what yeah, I was yeah, thinking. Like where, you know, he's going to, where are we going with, with this? What is like really older? Okay. We got a little while. He's only seven. Yeah. So well, I said it in a, in a little while, <laughs> you know, and he probably can't put it in the dorm, but I'm thinking like the frat house later, you know? Yeah. yeah that oh, could be good. Kiddie pool full Let's of hope. baked beans, kiddie pool full oh, of man. strawberry or jello with, Probably some vodka in there. 
Let's just uh, let's just hope it all. Let's, let's just hope let's I'm around this to see all that in like 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. See where the slides at. This is gonna where be where in the world is Mateo's slide? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that all happens. Uh, so Matt, what do you got going on? Um, what I write? Oh, I'm finishing up the sideboard, which is uh, kind of nice to get to that point in the project. Uh, I'm just kind of doing the last little finishing touches on things, getting some finish on all the parts that don't have any finish on them yet, and uh, I don't know kind of boring at this point because it's like a little piddly stuff but um yeah i don't know it's looking good got all those crash panels in there they're all looking good this looks good i don't know it's, it's massaging it my eyeballs every time i see it yeah can, can i just say that i can i just can't get enough of oiled crotch it's just <laughs> yes, i am having fun with all the puns especially just, when i was hanging the door seriously doors. looking at those images <laughs> like when you were just finishing the panels and like as the the sapwood comes in and it just turns like super, super creamy, creamy mm-hmm. oiled crotch. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> it's incredible, man. But, like, the depth I'm not taking the bait panels. on this one. <laughs> I was actually uh, like not intending to take it there, but you know, it just happened. Really anyway, though, but, like there's times I'll watch Matt post about this thing and there's almost no way to avoid those things. Oh yeah, like, you can't, you gotta true. go right in. Yeah. You just, you, you just gotta go for it. Cause if you don't, someone else it. will. <laughs> yeah. That's anyway, good, it's, it's those panels good. are purdy. Purdy. Yeah, very, very nice stuff. Uh, I'm excited Shannon, to get you? out of the shop. Uh, I've actually been out of the shop this week. Um, I took a trip down to North Carolina and uh, went and visited <clears throat> a composite decking plant. And it was, Ooh. Yeah, that it was, was cool. like walking into an episode of how it's made. It was just, it was awesome. Nice. It was just way cool. So, um, if you if you don't know, composite decking, PVC decking, all that stuff is extruded. So you're taking pellets of ethylene and wood flour in the case of composite or pellets of PVC in the case of the pure PVC stuff. And you're just injecting it into high temperature, high pressure and like pulling taffy. You're just making oh, no this kidding. molten mess. And there is a... Um, a form it's pushed through a form to give you the shape of the deck board. Or we were actually watching some, some of those like post sleeves, like a four by four sleeve that goes over pressure treated four by four. So it's hollow Mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. And there is just this band that's pulling that taffy out of the extruder (laughs) and it pulls it at a certain rate so that you get, you know, the, the proper um, thickness of the board or the hollow form um, and it has to be cooled as it comes down off the line. So each one of these extrusion lines, the extruder is only about 12 feet long, but the full line is anywhere from 19 to 27 feet, depending on whether you're making PVC or composite. And it's just cooling that whole way along. But what was just so cool is like how few people actually worked in that building. The level of automation <laughs> yeah. was just sick. And like we walked into the into the control room and it's like the freaking bat cave, you know, or something out of the matrix. There's screens everywhere <laughs> and like an indecipherable just stuff scrolling down the screens, you know, and, and the control room operator, of course, well, you assume he knows what he's doing, but he's like <laughs> flipping back and forth the screens. And I'm looking at this and there's like schematics and and like, I'm not kidding, matrix style code, like scrolling down these screens <laughs> and like in any moment he can tweak a setting somewhere and like catch a defect before it makes it far enough down the line. So like the, the number of defects coming off this line is next to nothing. It was just wow. really, really cool to see this. And then of course, getting into, you know, all that industrial size machinery, I posted on Instagram, the, the granite uh, top workbench that was just yeah. 
just the surface sick. plate. You know, yeah, right. You know, yeah, that thing is amazing. Make that into my new sharpening bench. But then, like, you know, all the <laughs> testing that goes through to actually break the boards and figure out what you know what are the actual load capacities on these things. They have boards that have been stuck in a vat of boiling water for six months. So they just have this Jeez. vat that's constantly boiling water for with these months. boards just stuck in them. Just like, boiling. So it, it, it's just Making interesting soup. For, for a guy that, <laughs> that likes wood as much as I do to actually get excited about a, a plastic product or a composite product is, is kind of saying something. But like yeah. all of the bad press and all the bad um, experiences that people had with composite decking in the past, they've kind of figured it out. The guys in white lab coats have, have tweaked the formulas here and added an additive here. And it's just incredible. The, the durability and just the sheer, like it's the perfect exterior material. So it was just really, really cool to see that. Um, and I've talked about it in a lumber update before about how you know, we're kind of turning a corner into some of these chemically um, modified products and engineered products. And, you know, it's not just that like nasty looking vinyl lumber that we, we plastic lumber <laughs> that we heard about, or we saw Norm Abrams yeah. use one time. Um, this stuff is, is just incredible. Like the embossing that goes on the surface, mm-hmm. it looks like freaking wood. Like it comes out of here and you're like, man, that, that looks just like wood. Um, wood with a finish on it because there's a bit of a sheen to it, obviously, but um, just incredible. And the fact that the embossing is actually happening on both, on all four sides, the edges, both faces, and the embossing is different. So it's not the same oh, no pattern over and over again. And the <laughs> yeah. dyes that get put into the ethylene cap are variegated. So it's not just this consistent color, which screams fake. There's color variation from one board to the next, from one end of the board to the next. They're streaking like you would find on a natural board. It's just incredible the how they've. Is it getting to a point that you would even think about building with this? Oh, totally. Um, The only issue with like some of the composite decking is it's not nearly structurally sound as wood. So you Mm. know it has to have a substrate. It has to have joists, or if you're using as rain screen, you have to have structure behind it. Um, so it, you know, it's not quite as flimsy as like drywall, but think of it like drywall, you know, you can't just, you have to have studs, you know, behind the drywall to attach it to, but there are other instances like the PVC has a lot more rigidity, but it's also quite a bit lighter. So yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of time, I think, and the right formulation, the right product, put it this way, if there's a market demand for it, they Mm -hmm. can do it. I mean, they've got so much data and so much science now behind the whole thing that I think, uh. It's just a matter of somebody saying, yeah, I'll buy that <laughs> and someone will make it. <laughs> I um, wonder if like if just as far as the woodworking community is concerned, if it works, maybe it doesn't work exactly like wood, but let's say it's close enough and you could still mill it. You could still route it. You do everything you would normally do. And it does have some structural integrity. So you can do a mortise and tenon joints. So you could build this entire thing like you would if it was wood, but it's made out of the stuff that's just going to kind of last forever. Yeah. Like, I wonder how many woodworkers would embrace that. Well, as a material. I mean, I can tell you in the commercial sector, um, the architects love it because the color does not change. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, Mark, your neck of the woods is probably one of the earliest adopters of this. There's, um, I was specifically at Fiberon, um, the company doing this. Fiberon also makes several lines of Trex decking. So in, in this world, you know, we all have these brand names. There's Azek and Clear and Trex and Veranda at Home Depot, but mm-hmm. they're kind of just like your Powermatic and my Grizzly planer are basically the same planer with a couple of parts and a different color paint job. 
difference yeah. between them. Same thing happens here where there are manufacturers that make these lines for various different brands. So um, I think that you could like wander around, like go to a rock bottom brewery in Denver and the siding mm-hmm. is going to be fiber on decking. And okay. it's been gotcha. there for five years and the color yeah. is exactly the same. And we're talking Denver sunshine here. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and if you don't know, that's bad sunshine, <laughs> high altitude, <laughs> intense Lots of sunshine, UV. you know, and it hasn't faded a bit like Delta no. V on it is like less than like two points or something like that. So, you know, the architects love it because they can design with this. Um, and, and it's cool because it's bringing more wood back into structures because people want that warming nature of, of wood and mixed media, you know, lots of glass and steel mm-hmm. and that's just cold. If you add a feature wall that's wood or, you know, um, uh, wood flooring or wood ceiling or wood soffit, it totally changes the look of the design. But if that wood is going to go gray, well, now you've got steel and glass and the whole thing is cold again. So yeah, I think, yeah. you know, from a woodworker's perspective, you think about how much time we spend talking about, you know, color matching and grain matching and, oh, well, it's all going to change color on us eventually. Well, what color is it going to look like? Well, if you use this stuff, it's that color. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it's interesting because certainly, you know, I, I, I love working with wood and I love the different exotics and, you know, domestics and all these different species that each have their own working properties and look and feel and everything. But there's something to be said about this product that, you know, it's going to machine incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And you think about like MDF, that constant density routes really, really well. It's not particularly attractive, um, <laughs> but if you can, if you can, you know, make a core that is going to machine well and then not like fuzz up a little bit like MDF would do. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some potential there. Wow. That sounds cool. Yeah. I would try it. I mean, if it it was good enough material and good reputation, why not? Something that just isn't going to decay. Yeah. The the cool part is just, like I said, with the automation, the, the, the data mining they can do. So if somebody says, well, I wish that product did X, Mm -hmm. they can basically reverse engineer it and make it happen. You know, okay, well, here, you know, the, the guy in the control room's name is Joey. He's like, okay, Joey, here, twist that little knob there. Okay, now we have that new product. You know, they have so much science behind every step of the way that, you know, it's just a matter of tweaking a formulation and going from there. So, yeah, it's pretty simple cool modifications. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. All right, well, let's get into what's new. I'm not sure who put this there, but uh, you want to take it? Whoever did I that? I did. That was me. Got okay. a new making type podcast from our buddy. Another one? But, but our buddy Keith Decent called from the ground up it's uh it was, it was subtitle was uh, the story of how we make stuff and i thought this was kind of interesting there's seven episodes so far and like the sixth one was how plywood shaped our world so it's a nice little story of the history of plywood and how it's kind of changed our lives which is i thought was kind of a fun listen so i thought nice. i'd plug uh keith's podcast there pretty sweet very good there is a a plethora of podcasts these days. Oh uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot. <laughs> yes, there's our piñatas. Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot uh, taking up my um, my podcast app, and there is never a shortage of things to listen to anymore. It's kind of crazy. I wasn't familiar with this one. That sounds interesting. I'm gonna have to check I, that out. I thought that'd be more like right up your alley, there, Shannon. The, especially yeah. that plywood episode. Yeah, I, I do love an origin story. <laughs> yes, <laughs> plywood origins, nonetheless. Okay, uh, let's which, move into... We, um, can, can we just take a moment for the passing of Stan Lee? Come on. Oh, yeah, we should. That 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 made me sad. That was a very sad uh, day. Actually, a couple of days. Very sad. Okay, yeah. anyway. 
Buzzkill. I actually went back and uh, I, I sat down and read uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 in his Oh, order. wow. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, digital, I'm looking at his artwork right now. So, you know, just make me think of that. Okie doke. Uh, let's get into the kickback here. So real quick, uh, we got we got a lot of voicemails and a lot of kickbacks and stuff, the, you know, because again, this is just the way the time cycle works for the show. Sometimes the kickback is related to something that happened three or four episodes ago. And uh, when we have a ton of uh, comments coming in and questions, we are always going to favor questions over comments and we're always going to favor newer feedback over older feedback. So if you did leave a message, we did hear it. We appreciate it. And um, unfortunately, if we didn't play it on the show, uh, we have to apologize for that. But ultimately, it's when there's just too many. We can't play everything. So we have to kind of be selective about that. So that said, uh, let's get to Daniel's question about chisels. Hey, guys, this is Dan from southeastern Pennsylvania with a quick question on chisel maintenance. I have a set of marples and spent the time to flatten the backs, restore the primary bevel, and brought them up to a proper sharpness. Side note, Shannon's advice on sharpening and strops is fantastic. I stitched myself some leather chisel covers that go all the way over the blade, but for some sizes that I don't use often, when I do uncover them, they have a layer of rust or corrosion on them. I'm in a two-car garage, unconditioned, and don't yet have a tool cabinet or really even the space for one. Any recommendations on how to best store my chisels to prevent them from going fugly? Love the show, and thanks for, well, you know. <laughs> fugly. All right, I assume you guys could hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It might be a little quiet for those listening live, but there's just nothing I could do about that. Okay, so a little bit of rust action on his chisels. Um, you know, Denver's pretty dry, and so was Arizona when I lived there, so this is not something that I even really have to think about very much, but uh, what do you guys think? I have a solution that I've recently adopted that I'm quite happy with. Well, first of all, just, you know, make sure you're wiping your tools down at the end of the day. You know, if if Mm -hmm. they have active dust and stuff on them, obviously wood is hydroscopic, so it's going to suck up the moisture and make them rust that much faster. So always, always, always just, you know, give them a wipe down with a, a slightly oily rag. We're not talking soaking oily rag that shouldn't be leaving visible residue on the, on the chisel <laughs> at the end of the day so that yeah. it attracts more dust. But you know, that wipe down will help. But, um, you guys know that like plastic dip stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. dip a tool handle in or whatever. Um, yeah. one of my hand tool school members tipped me off on this and he was, you know, take a little bit of a, uh, like blue tape <clears throat> and wrap it inside out around the tip of the chisel and then dip the chisel into the, the, the plastic dip. So what you're doing is creating a little edge protector sleeve with the tape as the substrate. So then, you know, it dries and then you can pull the little chisel condom off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it protects the edge. So yeah. I took it one step further and I went on Amazon looking for that rust paper, like the, okay. the stuff that like when you buy a hand plane, you buy a, a Ferris tool, it comes wrapped in that, um, mm-hmm. paper. And I bought like, I don't know, I was able to find lots of them on Amazon, but I was able to find little sheets that are about three inches square made of that rust prohibitive paper. So instead of using the blue tape as a substrate, now I just fold the little blue, the little paper around it, then dip the whole thing. So not only do I have an edge protector that's like snug fitting, cause my chisels are, are hanging in my cabinet with the, uh, the blades down. So they're, they're snug mm-hmm. enough that they don't fall off from gravity but the paper itself is a rust prohibitive and it's fantastic. It works great. So not only am I, you know, keeping myself from stabbing myself with an exposed chisel blade, I'm keeping the, the blade 
sharper longer because I'm protecting it and it's, you know, rust prohibitive. Yeah. Win-win. Make Brooklyn is asking this waxy, oily brown paper. Did you find a name for it? Like an official name if someone were to look this up? Uh, One second. What do they call this stuff? Armor wrap. Amazon's usually pretty good about that. What is it called? Armor wrap. Arma wrap? Armor, as in knight in shiny armor. Yes, okay. Brother Um, of armor seal. Corrosion, corrosion inhibiting, inhibiting protection. With VCI nanotechnology. That just sounds like something that would just be handy to have a little supply of in the shop. Yeah, well, this, if you're watching on the Google Hangout, these are little pieces of paper that are, like I said, about three inch by three inch. And I have a big old giant stack <laughs> of it. A thousand of them. Cost me about $10. <laughs> now, I think there's probably... Yeah, maybe more like 10,000 because they're really thin, <laughs> really nice. thin. You are stocked up, man. Look yeah. at that. So, I mean, I, I just uh, like Googled rusted, um, rust protectant wrap, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I came up with so many options on Amazon and different colors and rolls and all that stuff. And I was just hoping to find a small sheet that I wouldn't have to do a bunch of, uh, you know, cutting on. So I was hoping to find us a yeah. little bit, but I yeah, just, just a little bit package. Now I got an entire gross. It was like um, the time I ordered 600 grit sandpaper from Festool and I clicked the wrong box. And instead of getting like 10 feet of it, I got the 10 yard roll. So this box that's like 36 by 36 shows up and, yeah. and it's, and it's 600 grit. So it's like, you know, you could go through hundred grit probably pretty quickly, but 600 grit is what I use between coats of finish. So yeah. I have so 600 little tiny grit bits. paper for the, you know, yeah, I'll be handing it down to family. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's really the, like the best when you get totally stocked up on something that you really don't need that often. Oh yeah. Like it's great. And you will absolutely never need it for the next 20 years. Uh, all right, let's get to the second one. We got a, okay, look, this is not informative, but the guy sang and whenever anyone sings, like when they're not asked to, or just by themselves, like acapella type thing, I, I cringe. It makes me very uncomfortable and I don't know if, if I'm uncomfortable for me or for them, but it's maybe a combination of the two. So uh, l- let's just listen to James. Well, I'm having a little trouble staying afloat when I quit my watch job to make a boat. Life ain't nothing but a big Rolex. At least it was till it got repossessed. I got some wood and a jointer and a little bit of glue. It's all I should need to sail the ocean blue. I bet you wish that you could too. All right, so you get the reference now from the last show. <laughs> he said basically, Shannon, you said that watchmaking comment we made, quitting my job in the city would be yep. a good song. Well, here you go. Here's a song. Okay. Uh, so thanks for that, James. <laughs> Sounds like a country tune. Uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I get so uncomfortable with that stuff. I don't know what it is. It's weird. But thanks, James. I'm with you. I feel I feel a little embarrassed for him. Yeah, but it wasn't bad, though. I mean, it was a good effort. We appreciate that. It was definitely an A for effort. And uh, I like the rhyming. The rhyming scheme was quite nice. Uh, All right. So let's go to Jason's question about spoke shaves. Hey, guys, this is Jason in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And I have a question for you regarding spoke shaves. Um. A while ago, I picked up this Veritas spoke shave, and I got the, the rounded one for doing inside or concave curves, thinking that I could, you know, clean up my my uh, bandsaw cuts with it uh, versus, and save some time sanding, I guess. Well, 
Uh, frankly, I think I can get a better surface off the bandsaw. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, I'm either not taking off any wood or it feels like it's biting in and then skipping and it's creating, it's one extreme or the other. Um, obviously you can't critique my, my methodology or my technique over a voicemail, but I was just wondering if you had comments about proper usage for one of these things. Thanks much guys. Bye. All right. Thanks for that, Jason. You know, interesting thing. I do use my spoke shaves like periodically. Um, but there are times depends on the species, depends on the angle, the cut where I start to get a little bit of chatter, or I could tell that this is actually going to do more harm than good. (laughs) And I put it back on the shelf and say, I'm going to use sandpaper. So I may not be the best person because I'm like, I'm not going to sit there too long trying to figure out how do I just get, how do I get just the right English on this? You know, like (laughs) it, like if it's not working well, see you later. I'm going back to something else. So what do you guys have any tips for spoke shave use? My, um, <clears throat> my connection dropped out right at the beginning of that. When you played that voice, okay. did he say what kind of spoke shave he's using? A rounded. It's just, one. yeah. And I think it's probably more just the general comment. Like okay. anytime he does these bandsaw cuts, he's trying to do cleanups and it's not going very well. Okay. I mean, it doesn't make that big of a difference, but, mm-hmm. um, there is an engagement angle on a spoke shave and, um, the only exception to this, you'll find like the um, the Boggs shave from Lee Nielsen and mm-hmm. some of the Veritas ones, like the Bubinga handled Veritas ones. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But a lot of shaves have a slight angle that you have to tip it forward to engage Mm -hmm. the blade properly. And you need to use that engagement angle to prevent the chatter. And what happens is you can just set the, the blade, the the whole shave down flat. Um, but like if you're pulling it towards you, you want to put your thumbs kind of on top of the blade, right at the, the front. Um, if you're pushing it away, you use your index finger for that. So there's pressure on the front of the sole of the blade so that it's kind of engaging that angle. Um, think of it like turning. If you don't rub the bevel, bad things happen. Like you get chatter, you get tear out, you get an ugly cut. That's the same thing. Um, because the spoke shave has such a short wheelbase, since there's very little mass there, um, you can get chatter very, very quickly unless you've got that engagement angle really locked in. So what I would say is um, as you start to see chatter, kind of, 
Think about tilting the shave towards you. Again, if you're pulling it towards you or if you're pushing it, tilt it away from you. And sometimes it's not actually a physical action of tilting. Sometimes just thinking about tilting is all you have to do. And it applies just a little bit of pressure and it applies a little bit of pressure down to kind of dampen the vibration. Because again, since there's so little mass in the tool itself, um, you need a little bit of that vibration damping. Certainly the most important thing anytime you're getting chatter with a tool is make sure that the blade is sharp. Um, I usually say that goes without saying, but I'm finding lately that that should be said because that's the first thing that you got to make sure is that it's sharp. Then if you're still getting a little bit of chatter, um, you might just be trying to take too big of a bite and you need to either lighten the cut or um, a lot of times the spoke shave isn't meant to take like, say you're, you're working on like a one inch thick board. So you've got a one inch thick edge that you're shaping. A lot of times what you may need to do is tilt the shave to the left or the right and take a small bite off of like half of the edge and then take a bite off the other half of the edge. So you're leaving like Mm -hmm. a little hump in the middle and then you come back and remove that hump in the middle with a third pass. Once you get like down to the point where the sculpting is done and you're just trying to smooth things out, then you can lighten up your cut. So you're taking like smoothing plane style shavings and take a full width pass at that point. So, Mm -hmm. um, it, it, again, it all comes down to the fact that it's just a very small tool with very poor vibration damping capabilities because there's just no mass there. So it, yeah. it, it is all user at that point. You can get away yeah, with a lot of finesse. stuff with a hand plane with poor technique. Um, mm-hmm. can't, not so much with a spoke shave. Matt, you got anything to add to that? Uh, the only thing I was going to add was that it has some kind of fun engagement angle, and uh, I think Shannon pretty well covered that. Mm-hmm. How about uh, get a get a oscillating spindle sander? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. I, guess, I don't know. I guess it's fine too. <laughs> That'll work. That'll too. work too. Okay. Uh, so Kyle called in with a little kickback on glue as a finish. Hey, this is Kyle calling back in. Try wood guy. Dead gummit. Let's see if I can get this figured out. Internet's so hard. Okay. It's confusing. Anyway, the kickback I have is from the Mark Says No episode talking about glue as a finish. So I was living in an apartment while my house was being built and I had limited tools because everything was in storage, but I was building some of those locker cubbies, putting people put in mudrooms or laundry rooms, and I was using plywood as the main structure for the verticals. And so the supports for the seat, you could see the edge grain or all the plies from the plywood, and I didn't want to go buy a whole bunch of rolls of veneer tape. So instead, the whole pro- the whole, easy for me to say, the whole project was going to be painted, and so I took glue, using glue as a finish, and I painted uh, really thin layers on the edge grain, or the end grain of that plywood, so that when I painted it, it would have caused more like a sealer, I guess, than a finish. But that's an instance to where I used glue as a finish or filler or whatever you want to say. Hope this thing works, dead gummit. <laughs> Thanks for the show, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> Technology's <you>. hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of like a glue size situation yeah, yeah. there. Uh, very good. Okay, so what do we have here? Lumber update. Shannon's got something for us. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. 
So <laughs> this week we're going to talk about China. Yay, China. Um, Yay. And I, this this is this is hard for me because I tend to vilify China a lot. Um, <laughs> Do you? If, if the if there is illegal <laughs> logging happening in the world, it's probably them. So yeah, we we've talked in the past about how supporting you know buying continue to buy exotic lumber is the best way to make sure that it is managed properly. But let's flip that on its head a little bit. Um, the Chinese are driving up the cost of exotic lumber pretty dramatically, um, but also driving up the cost of our domestics. So there is a blossoming middle class going on right now in China. In fact, if you've seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians, Asians, that's a, a, a good example of, you can't call that middle class, that's upper class, but still there is this economic structure that exists there now that never was before and millions and millions and millions and millions of people to back it up. So they are consuming like crazy. They, they love Western furniture, they love their own Chinese furniture, and they're bringing in lumber as fast as they possibly can, no matter how they do it. And the problem we have is even though China is a signatory in the CITES convention and has um, a place at the table, if you will, in several regulatory bodies, there are no laws in China that actually enforce any of this stuff. <laughs> so they are on, they are a signer of the CITES uh, uh, pact, pact, treaty. I don't know what we call that. Whatever. They are a signer on CITES, but you actually can't get arrested for bringing in CITES violated lumber because there is no local law that will enforce it. So it's kind of a problem because they're bringing in all this material left and right. And any person that wants to log illegally can find a buyer in the Chinese. And that is an issue. And that's why there is still illegal lumber or illegal logging happening. But let's flip this on its head a little bit. Go to pick up any product off the shelf in the U.S. and there is a pretty good chance, maybe 70% chance that somewhere there'll be a sticker on it that says made in China. And as much as they are consuming lumber for their own use, they're consuming it even faster in order to build stuff and send it back to us, <laughs> mm -hmm. specifically crappy furniture. Not even not so crappy furniture, um, middle of the road furniture. You know, um, you know, if, if, if one were to label Walmart furniture as crappy, then maybe Target would be middle of the road furniture. Well, that's still kind of crappy. Yeah. But still, it's, it's yeah, all it's made all in the same place. It's all made in China. <laughs> you know, some of it's made in Indonesia. Let's be real. But the lumber for that, like a lot of these these uh, a lot of this crappy furniture is domestic species for us. Well, they had, they had to buy it from us. Um, so we're shipping out lumber as fast as we can. And the same thing is applying to our exotics. We're shipping out this lumber as fast as we can so that it can be made into pottery barn stuff and come back. You know, that's that's the more middle of the road furniture. Um, so it's something to, to think about is this global economy. We can't exactly point our fingers at the Chinese and go, you're bad. You're violating all these laws. We do have to look a little bit closer to home. So if you want to... Take this one step further. We talked about the butterfly effect and buy more lumber in order to protect the lumber. Okay, so buy more lumber, but maybe don't buy the products that also <laughs> necessitate. So we as woodworkers, we're the good guys because we're buying more lumber, we're supporting the forest, and we're building good quality furniture. It's the people mm -hmm. that are not buying good quality furniture that we have to might want to point at and go, next time you blame China for something, think about the last piece of furniture that you bought. Probably think about that. 
Yeah. Suck on Jerks. that. So anyway, I just I was trying to <laughs> trying to give it a little bit more well-rounded thing because I do feel like I gang up on China a lot because they're yeah. they are violating a lot of lumber uh, sustainability laws, but they're violating it to build the products that we're buying from them. So yeah, yeah look in the mirror, well, folks. China did leave a comment the other day. They were saying, "Could could you get Shannon to back off a little bit?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it's starting it. to bother us. I feel like it probably would have been a little more threateningly worded than that. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I could just pull up any given day in my Amazon Cloudflare to the the McIlvain website and see the number yeah. of cyber attacks coming out of China and just go, yeah, well, right. stop doing blocked. that. Blocked, blocked. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Well, good to know. Um, let's jump into our email here. I've got one from Brandon. He says, joint her question. I know, right? No one recommends. <laughs> it's his words, not mine. No one recommended, uh, or sorry, no one recommends a six inch jointer, but I'm working out of a three car garage and the wife refuses to give up her parking spot. So it's more like a two car garage. I currently have the Porter cable bench top jointer and it's just insufficient. The beds are too short and I've given up running anything across it. That is longer than 36 inches. I cannot realistically fit an eight inch jointer in my garage without getting really creative and rolling it around a lot. My question is, is it worth the upgrade to a full size six inch jointer with adequate bed lengths? Is there enough benefit in the additional 30 plus inches of wingspan or is the six inch width going to be the biggest pitfall and it isn't worth the upgrade until I can move to an eight inch. Thanks gentlemen. And remember no one likes a quilter <laughs> Brandon. I like that. This is, this is such a first world problem question <laughs> in it though. In it though. I only have a two car garage. Shut up. All right. <laughs> yeah. I have a, uh, the I have thing a with two car garage. Is, I got a 12 inch donor in mind. Yeah, Cremona figures it out. Well, realistically, how much bigger is the footprint of an 8-inch jointer than a 6-inch jointer? A good quality 6-inch jointer. They're longer, certainly, aren't they? I mean, like... Maybe, by a little bit. Yeah, but like front-to-back depth, nothing. Two inches, probably. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to get a couple inches different, but if you're looking at the total footprint, I mean, because that's the other thing with the jointer. Yes, the the, the base is there. And, I mean, the arms are the, uh, the beds... I mean, even if they were just a little bit bigger, I don't see that an eight inch is going to be that much different for him than a no, six inch. No, maybe but that 12 said, inches total, right? When you say probably like 55 inches to like maybe 70 inches yeah, on, on an uh, eight inch joiner. They're usually about may, 72 inches, I think. And I would just don't think it's that much of a factor. But what I want to step back and say to Brandon is don't let our general advice to say, yes, go for the eight inch. If you have the choice and you have the budget, try to get the eight inch over the six because you'll never regret it. People always get rid of the six eventually, which is just a generalization on our part. A lot of people have six inch jointers and they're doing just fine with them. So um, don't let that kind of uh, cloud your judgment here. Six inch jointers are perfectly fine. You will see such a huge improvement in your results just by jumping up to a quote unquote real jointer. I mean that as in like a real like floor standing machine, nice and powerful, good long beds. I think you'll get the most benefit out of the bed length before you have to even think about like the negatives of the bed width, right? So I would much rather see you go from a bench top to a good quality six inch jointer than holding off because you can't get the eight inch right now, right? So my advice, go for that six inch. If you truly think that it's a, you know, it's going to improve your footprint situation I don't believe that it will though, but don't be afraid to go for that six inch. Yeah. And regular, they sell great on Craigslist. So you can always sell that later. Two inch joiner, real 36 inch joiner. <laughs> mm, Got to be watching the video. Those would be nice. Good reason to show up. No one wants to push those around. 
Yeah, that's a lot of work. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> I'd rather push the whole board to the machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, with, you want to hear something? your boards, Matt, I mean, that's a lot of work. How do you think I stay so fit? That's right. That's how he gets so good looking. <laughs> Solid boobinga. You want to hear something cool? I'm actually talking to Powermatic about, I mean, it's cool for me. It's not cool for anybody else. Um, <laughs> it's all I want to set the expectation, uh, you know, appropriately here. <laughs> so I, I like, I've been thinking about the bigger jointer and going past eight inches and possibly looking at the uh, 12 inch Powermatic jointer. It's difficult to justify, but I want it. I just want it. And the footprint, like I'm saying about going from six to eight, the footprint from the eight to the 12 is just not that much, you know, it's not that much bigger and I have room to accommodate it. So I actually am thinking about going for it, but I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but this may result in me just doing a giveaway of the old eight inch jointer. So maybe there is a little benefit to other people to get excited about is you might have a chance to win my my old jointer. Oh man, I can't wait to win your jointer. Yeah. What would you do with that? You sit it on top of your current jointer? I don't know. I would probably just (laughs) probably set it to take a deeper cut. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, finally, I'm going to set you free, you don't even jointer. To, yeah, you, you could have two jointers, uh, like a finessing jointer and then your rough jointer. <laughs> wow. That's that's called efficiency right there. Like two yeah. bandsaws. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hopefully that answers your question to some extent there, Brandon. Maybe he's in Denver. He can win your jointer. That would be nice. That's the other thing, too. I mean, shipping it, I guess if I'm getting a new one, I'll, I'll have something like a crate coming to me that if I don't completely destroy it <laughs> to to get at the goods on the to get to the creamy inside filling, um, maybe I could reuse it to reship the eight inch to somebody. Just have them ship know, you maybe. an empty eight inch crate. Come on, you're Mark Spagnuolo. They'll send you an empty Seriously. crate. Don't they That's know who true. you are? That's true. I should be like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> Come on now. All right. Uh, you're up, Matt. Uh, yeah, where, where am I here? You have to talk. You haven't talked much this show. So this is, this is your time to shine, my friend. I'm feeling it today. All right. All right. This is from uh, Eddie. It says, when is dry rotted sapwood a sign of good or bad lumber? I purchased some walnut slabs from a local lumber guy and noticed that the sapwood on the edge, about one or two inches worth, is dry rotted. I could break off pieces with my hands, not easily, but it could be done. The hardwood seems to be perfectly fine. Planed a little and looked great. In comparison, I purchased kiln dry lumber from another local guy, and the sap was firm as was as firm as the heartwood. I've seen lots of people use walnut and incorporate the sapwood for a beautiful effect. Knowing this, when's it safe to incorporate sapwood, or is dry rotted sapwood a concern regard regarding yeah, dry rotted sapwood a concern regarding the heartwood? Is there any difference between kiln dried and air dried lumber? I'm assuming that in relation to uh, dry rotted sapwood, not just like in general. Yeah. <laughs> you just snuck that one last oddball question. It's only this became a much larger question. Uh, yeah. So as far as I know, there's really no species that has like really rot resistant sapwood. So if you have a log that's been sitting around for a while, chances are the sapwood is going to be rotting away or doing something that will make it like basically punky and gross, but the heartwood will still be really solid and firm. So I don't know. Maple? Maple is all, well, that's the other thing. Well, <laughs> that's the funny thing about maple is people will hate on sapwood, but when you buy your white maple boards, that's all sapwood. Yeah. The whole board is sapwood. White You're sapwood. buying a sapwood board. <laughs> and that's why maple tends to spalt so easily is because it's all sapwood. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's that, I guess. But it, it's like basically it's the indication of whether or not the heartwood's any good. My farmhouse table is made of uh, white oak that was totally rotted in the sapwood, but the heartwood was totally fine. 
hasn't fallen apart or died yet, which is kind of nice. But there's really no concern at all with using a piece of wood with, with uh, dry rotted sapwood if you remove the sapwood. If you want to preserve it, you can use something like CPES to strengthen up a bit. But generally, if you're just looking for the just the hardwood anyway, and sapwood's going to be cut away regardless, the fact that it's dry rotted has no relevance over the hardwood's condition. So there's that, I guess. But, Very good. Yeah. And then, I guess, between the kiln dried and air dried, it's going to be regardless of what's happening with that dry rotted stuff doesn't really matter it's gonna be dry right before it goes into the kiln anyway or before it's been sawn probably is there any change in uh boards like tendency to dry rot if you're looking at something that's already dried and then put in a storage situation i continue to dry rot like no it was in perfect condition when it was processed and then now it's done like for instance me i go get a board that has a lot of sapwood i go to store it outside um is that sapwood any less likely to dry rot and become problematic now that it's already been kiln dried? I don't think so. Unless you're getting it wet and it's actually going to rot. Like if the board is going to rot, like wood rots, mm -hmm. then you'll probably see that start to happen, but you got to keep it wet all the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It all comes down to like, if the tree was felled at the appropriate time when the sap wasn't rising, it's going to be less prone to rotting because there's less sugars and stuff that bugs like. Um, in the sapwood, but mm -hmm. if it's kiln dried, generally the sap is set to some extent, so it's going to be less appetizing and more like the heartwood, which is why the rot, the bugs leave the heartwood alone. But gotcha, it's gross. In in the absence of anything else to eat, though, bugs will eat hardwood. So <laughs> nom, 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 nom. okay, that's I'm good. starving. Okay, this is uh, from William. He says, I'm looking to get a scrub plane. Are my best options Veritas and Lee Nielsen? I'd rather not restore a vintage plane. So this is going to be one of those do as I say, not as I do answers. <laughs> I love those. Um, I have a Veritas scrub plane. Um, it was given to me as a gift by my mother-in-law. Otherwise, I would not have a Veritas scrub plane. So when I say don't buy a Veritas or a Lee Nielsen for a scrub plane, just go get a vintage one. You don't have to worry about restoring the vintage one because there's no restoration needed. A scrub plane does not need a flat sole, does not need a tight mouth. All you need is to grab a vintage smoother plane, like a vintage number four, make sure the frog is backed all the way out, and then grind like a three-inch radius on that blade, and you are off to the races. There's no reason to spend any more time doing anything to that plane. Maybe clean off the rust, but, but that's it. You don't have to flatten the sole because you're taking a massive, massive bite with that scrub plane. And it's a shorter sole to begin with. This is not a plane used for taking light, fluffy shavings. So no need for high tolerance on, on that sole at all. Um, certainly, you want to be a little picky when you're buying that vintage plane. You want to make sure that, you know, the, the frog is not loose and, you know, the lateral adjuster is not all wonky and things that it actually functions. But if you were to buy a vintage plane from any of like the more reputable tool dealers, um, you would have no problem at all. And the only thing you have to do is grind a curve and go to work. And it's going to just save you so much more. Every time I use my Veritas scrub plane, it's just like, this is just ridiculous. Like a precision flattened sole. Like my scrub plane sole is flat to within a thousand of an inch. Meanwhile, I'm taking eighth inch thick shavings with the thing. So yeah, it's just, I guess if you wanted to buy a brand new plane, I suppose you could go to Home Depot and buy a Buck Brothers plane. <laughs> Um, I worry about the quality of the steel on those. So grinding the three inch radius might like torch the steel. You never know. Um, mm. Or, you know, I guess you could buy a wood river 
but then that's buying something from China. And we've already talked about that today. So yeah, I, I would definitely go vintage and just not spend any time restoring it because you don't need to. Did you guys see, I think it's Rockler. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm mistaken. That they're, planes. Yeah. They've got their own line of planes now. Yeah. Ooh. I got, I got the catalog and I was like, wow, somebody's going to ask what, me about um, these. And five what, minutes later, yeah, I got to get some. Yep. How, what do you think, do you think about these? Planes? <laughs> like, I think I just saw them in a catalog <laughs> two minutes yeah. ago. They just came out. Uh, wonder, I'm looking right now what their price point is on these. If they're smart, it's in line with Wood River. Uh, let's see. Number four smoother is on sale. Special price, 111 Okay. Yeah. So not cheap, but not, you know. They got a scrub plane? Yeah, let's see. But there's the other thing. Like, if you're going to buy a new plane, I wouldn't buy a smoothing plane. Because the new smoothing planes are going to have, like a lot of them have that adjustable mouth. They're going to specifically be set up to be a smoother. A vintage mm-hmm. smoother is going to allow you to get that big, wide open mouth um, that you need to, to yeah. allow a big, thick shaving to flow through it. I think it says right here, we don't sell scrub planes because scrub planes are dumb. Oh, yeah, right there. Right there on the top <laughs> yeah, there. So yeah, they, they not even in it. fine print. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, no scrub planes. It's an H2 tag. They've optimized <laughs> that page for scrub planes are yeah. dumb. Yep. Well, let me ask you this about scrub planes. Does a narrower sole make it any better? Aren't they like narrower than like a number four? Like two inches mm-hmm. wide yeah. or something? They are. They're a little does that make you feel any better using a, a, a new one or an actual scrub plane because it's narrower and it's more, I don't know. I don't know what. I thought I'd bring that up. That's narrower. So I feel like I'm no. smart. I have something to say. It's narrower. So, so there's that. So there's that. There's that in there. Well, Do you want to hear, hear my scrub plane story? When I was, oh man, this was like maybe 2005. Uh, I was really getting into things and I'm like, people are buying uh, hand planes on eBay and it was like, it was a whole thing. And I didn't know anything about hand tools. So I was like, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful Lee Nielsen hand plane on eBay. And I bought it and it was a great price. And then I got it and I'm like, what is this stupid thing? And I, I bought this scrub plane and I had no idea what I was buying at the time, but clearly I'm like, what is, what did they do to this blade? It's all, it's not flat. It's curved. And it was, it really threw me for a loop at the time. And I wound up selling it because I'm like, this is stupid. So, <laughs> that's my scrub plane experience. Scrub, scrub plane good, right? is definitely not for the hybrid woodworker. Uh, you know? No. <laughs> if you have not any one. kind of milling tool at all, a scrub plane, yeah. no. Um, not one to add to the toolkit. Now, if you only have a planer and you don't have a joiner, scrub plane can be really beneficial. If you've ever mm-hmm. watched my hybrid milling video on YouTube, you can like get that reference, quote unquote, reference face so that it doesn't rock and registers on the planer bed, like ready to go in yeah. 10 seconds, 15 seconds with yeah. a scrub plane. So certainly the narrower sole, what, what that really does is it makes for a narrower blade. Go figure, right? Narrower sole, narrow <laughs> blade, which means you can put a more aggressive radius on it. So like the, the narrower scrub plane blade would have a three inch radius. If you're using a regular like number four blade, three inches would be a bit much. That would be, you'd be taking like a quarter inch thick shaving at that point. So you would need Mm -hmm. to widen um, the radius a little bit. I I don't know offhand what that would be. Um, Four inches, five inches, I don't know. Um, But so that's really it. I mean, I I can't see it being that big of a difference because again, it's not like you're trying to make the board flat at this point. The wider sole- Would it be just a little bit, would it be a little bit slower? Maybe. Maybe. Doubtful though. I mean, my problem with scrub planes is people actually don't use them as aggressively as they probably should. I still yeah. see people taking scrub plane shavings that are like, you know, a 16th of an inch thick. Scrub plane is 
hogging some crap off. We're getting work done <laughs> with that thing. So it's like me at a jointer. Just yeah, me. yeah, exactly, exactly like that. <laughs> that is exactly it. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know what? If you want to support the show, there's a bunch of different ways you can do that. You can go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk. You can also go to the TWW store and buy yourself a woodtalk t-shirt and you can leave us a review any place where you can find like a directory of podcasts. Just look us up there and leave a, a star rating or actually drop in some text. So like in iTunes, Duncan of the Clan McLeod says, not even good at quilting. I'm sorry, not quilting, quitting. It's weird. Everyone keeps using both of those words, and now I I'm, I can't figure out which one it is. He says, uh, these guys are very enjoyable to listen to. I haven't even done any woodworking, but they have inspired, or should I say infected me, with TAS, Tool Acquisition Syndrome. And so if the mood ever strikes, I am glad to know that I could build that too, because they actually do have those tools. If you can get over Shannon being kind of a jerk, Matt constantly giggling like a schoolgirl in the background, and the fact that you will never own half the tools that Spagnolo does, it'll be an excellent part of your week, and uh, you could tune in and listen. In all sincerity, though, the show really does bring a lot to the table, which is good, because they build they built the table. This is great. I like this guy. I would say its single biggest draw is not even the woodworking information, but more the dynamic of interplay amongst the hosts. They really make you feel like you are just hanging out with some friends. No, we're not friends. Tell you that. (laughs) If you have uh, even the slightest interest in woodworking, give the show a listen. I I like reading reviews that are convincing other people to listen, but we're reading them to people who are listening. (laughs) Something a little bit maybe redundant about that. So, what are you going to do? Yeah. All right. Shannon, why don't you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here. Thank you for listening to Wood Talk. If you have comments, questions, or want to know where to enter to win Mark's joiner, you can send us a voicemail using your voice memo app. Just record it and say, I want that joiner, yo. And email it to uh, something. Woodtalk at gmail.com. And don't do that, what he just said. Yeah, don't do that. Because it's it's not, we're not ready for that. Yet. Yeah, and don't do it to woodtalk <laughs> at gmail.com either. Do it to woodtalkonline <laughs> yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah. Get, oh, get the email all right. It's only been 500 and, or, gosh, it hasn't been 500. We haven't done 500 shows yet, guys. I'm I was there. Where are we at? If you add all of them up, we probably did, but yeah. the, new, the standard numeric shows, no, we did not. Uh, we're hit five. Oh, yeah, we're getting close, though. Getting close. All right, well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Good luck winning Mark's joiner. Ah, you turd. You may not be able to have half of his tools, but you can win his scrub plane. <laughs> Never been used joiner. once. Except he flattened the, the blade. It's no longer curved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>